That way they'll start texting me during the service, telling me to hurry up. Preaching too long or something. Whatever happens to preachers nowadays with all this <laughs> getting text messages, another message. Okay, we get it. Move on. All right, Christina, you can. Oh, I'm live now. Well, thanks. I'm sitting up here just rambling. Excuse me, Facebook Live audience. Amen. Anyway, good to be here tonight. Amen. Have you good to be in the house of the Lord, Stephen? Happy New Year. Y'all ready to? Uh, have a new year before us. Let's go over in prayer. Father, we just thank you for tonight. Thank you for your son, Jesus, Lord God. Father, we just thank you, Lord God, just to be able to come into this place, Lord God, one place, one heart, one accord, Lord God, just looking to Jesus as the author, the finisher of our faith, Lord God. Father, we thank you, Lord God, that your word is still that lamp to our feet and that light to our path, Lord God. So as we come together, Father, we just ask for the spirit of wisdom and understanding, Lord God, to be upon this place, Lord God. Father, we just need your word. Father, we know, Lord God, that uh, your word tells us that in the last days there'll be a famine. There won't be a famine of bread or of water, but it'll be a famine of your word. And so, Father, we don't want to be a people, Lord God, that are, that are uh, unsatiated, Lord God, because of a lack of your word. We want to be filled, Lord God. We want to be, uh, have that bread of life, Lord God, in our life to, to, to be full, to overflowing, Lord God, into a lost and hungry generation. So, Father, tonight, we just ask that your presence would be here, Lord God, that you would anoint, Lord God, not just the speaking of the word and the teaching of it, Lord God, but also the ears, that you would give us those ears to hear and those eyes to see, Lord God, that which your word, by your Holy Spirit, your servants, Lord God, would speak unto your church tonight, Lord God. So we thank you for it, Lord God. Folks, as you bind every distraction of the adversary, Lord God, anything that he would try to do or conjure up, Lord God, in any way, Lord God, keep us, Lord God, from being fed that bread of life tonight. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, and amen. Uh, folks, we're uh, continuing our study in Hebrews tonight, so good to have you guys that are joining us on Facebook Live. We're continuing our kind of our Glory Beyond the Veil uh, series through the, our study in Hebrews. This is class number six. If you missed out on the previous ones, you can find them on our uh, by going to biggrace.com, which will immediately take you to my Facebook page. You can just scroll through there. All these Wednesdays for the last five weeks, uh, five or six weeks, you can uh, get the videos of those. Uh, Caleb Phipps is going to make those also available through our podcast as well. He's working on those. Folks, if you remember, uh, you know, in dealing with the, the book of Hebrews, that we are addressing uh, really the issue kind of the Jewish converts that had uh, been tempted to turn back to the law because they were facing the persecution of their faith. And you think about that just for a second. Here they were, they were coming to Christ. If you remember, uh, at, the, at, the, at the birth of the church on the day of Pentecost, all of those people that showed up, those 3,000 people that got saved that day when, when Peter stood up in the midst of them, Folks, all those people were Jews. And so you had all this enormous influx of Jewish converts. Peter, Peter preached that tremendous word, you know, springing off of that prophecy of Joel in the last days, that he'll pour out his spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your, your, your young men will have visions, your old men will dream dreams. On my servants, on my handmaids, I'll pour out my spirit, and that day they'll prophesy, etc., etc. And so this tremendous uh, influx of, of believers out of Judaism came to Christ. And so in the first century, that, that was the main influence of the church. Because that was the message, and that was the messengers that were brought to it. But something happened in that. So all these Jewish leaders uh, began to persecute those Christians just like Saul, before he became Paul the Apostle, did up to that point. And so you had the, 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 these, these Christians that were previously Jews suffering an enormous amount of persecution for their faith, not just from the Jewish side, but also from the Roman side. Because remember, the Romans were kind of used as a, a pawn in this situation because the, the Jewish leaders wanted to reject the message of this Messiah. So you had, remember, you had all these Jewish converts that were under an enormous amount of persecution. So they began to kind of fade back. 
And they said, listen, we're going to continue to believe. We, 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 it's not that we don't believe, but we want to kind of be undercover brothers. We don't, want to, we don't want to be out there, so we're going to continue. We'll go to the synagogue or the temple, and we'll do kind of those legalistic things. And so anybody just through, through observation is, is going to think that we're, we're Jews still because we don't want to face that, that, that opposition. So the Hebrew letter was, was written really to face and to, to address that issue. Folks, listen, is it any different today? Because, you know, in a, in a room like this, and, and obviously I, I know everyone that's in here, you know, we have a room full of believers. But have you ever been tempted maybe in a workplace not to demonstrate the, the, the same tenacity in the proclamation of your faith, maybe as you would when you're with a bunch of other believers? You know, think, for instance, you know, we go out and, you know, we, we preach the gospel every single weekend out on Bourbon Street, boldly. You know, we stand up there and it's, it's, it, there's an intense environment and there's no, there's no secret who we are. And so we're not just going into that environment and kind of blending in. So everyone that walks up say, they y'all are the Jesus people or whatever they, they say that to kind of differentiate us between the crowd. But what about when you go to your workplace? Do, does, do you ever say that somebody say, you say, hey, I didn't know you were a Christian. And you're like, man, I, I was hoping it was a little bit more obvious. You know, because I get people coming to the street, to the street sometime and like, oh, y'all are such and such, or what are you doing? I'm like, man, I'm disappointed that you don't know what we're doing. I've got a 15-foot uh, uh, cross in the middle of the street made out of a gutter pipe with a big sign on it, and we're preaching at 100-plus decibels the, the, the Word of God. I figured it's pretty obvious, big Jesus bla blazing upon our shirt. It wouldn't be obvious to that. But sometimes you find yourself shrinking back about the testimony of Jesus. And so shouldn't we be those that we're constantly letting our light shine? I'm not saying to hop up on your desk or, 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 or your sawhorse at work and, and you know, and grab you a half-mile hailer and begin to preach. But I'm saying just be just as obvious in whatever environment that you're in that who you stand for and who you are. Well, they stopped doing that, and so he had to let it, write a letter of rebuke that was calling them back to a place of repentance. Folks, listen, it's the same message. It's just as relevant today. We can't, in this hour in which we face an enormous amount of persecution, because i got news for you. When I started street preaching 25 years ago, you know what? If people didn't want to hear what you said, they kind of just ignored you. Now you begin to mention the name of Jesus, literally it's like pouring napalm on, on, on a person. There, there, there's an anger that rises up, not at the name of God, or not, not the name of, of religion, but at the name of Jesus. There is a hostility that rises up. Why? Because the Bible says that he's been given a name that is highly exalted, that, that there's no other name under heaven where to make him be saved, but at the name of Jesus, every knee has got to bow and every tongue has got to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So it's not a God because there's a lot of gods out there, little g, that people make. And they may give them Christian names. They may give them the little God of, of the Baptist church or the little God of the Presbyterian or, or the little God of your, your Pentecostalism. I'm a, I'm a Pentecostal guy. And so so whatever it is, if it's not the God, amen, that sent his son, Jesus, to come in the form of sinful flesh and for sin, and I'm not proclaiming that name, then it can be just this obscure, this ambiguous type of God that can kind of just fit into anybody's belief or lifestyle. And so, you know, we can make these gods kind of like Pastor Alex was preaching this past Sunday about when Aaron, you know, they, they, they saw that Moses had delayed in coming down from the mountain. And so they said, make us a God that we can follow. Gave their earrings and the rings, and he said, he cast them in the fire, and this, 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 this calf came out. You know, yeah, absolutely, sure, sure it was. So they just said, make us a God that we can follow. Folks, isn't that what people are saying today? 
Make us a God that we can follow. Make us a God that compromises like I compromise. Make us a God that's used that's that's okay with my foul language. Let's make it make it a God that's okay with my questionable entertainment. Make it a God that's uh, okay with my 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 immorality or whatever it may be. Make us a God that that is compatible with my viewpoint or my worldview of culture. Folks, listen, I'm, I'm sorry, but there's a God that the Word of God tells us in, in, in Malachi chapter three. He said, "I'm the Lord God, and I do not change." And we, we further see it that he says that he's Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we can't make the same mistakes that they made here in the first century church and have to draw back. Why? Because there is a corrective letter. And it's not just this, this the chapters of Hebrews. It's, it's the whole of the scripture. It's a corrective letter that says, listen, you're either gathering with him or you're scattering abroad. You cannot serve two masters. That you're going to love one and hate the other. You're not going to, you're going to hate the other and love the one. There's got to be a fidelity in our relationship with God. So we see that they were drawing back. And so this letter is focusing on the importance of understanding the value of holding to a steadfast continuation. You remember we, we talked about that in one of our early class. There's got to be a steadfast continuation of the faith, faith so that the doctrine of Christ is not minimalized. Because the second it's minimalized, it becomes uh, delegitimized. And so if I, if I make it something, uh, my, 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 my former pastor, who's also my, my first cousin, Dr. Richard Tao, is going to be here next weekend for, the, uh, uh, for Leadership Youth. You know, he was talking to me about a church that wanted to hire him to be the teaching pastor. He said it was a younger minister. You know, uh, Pastor Tao, is, I think he just turned 70 maybe this past year. And he said that this younger pastor, is maybe in his 40s, who told him, he said, listen, I'm not really teacher motivated. He said, I'm more of a motivator. He said, I'm more of that type of guy. He said, but I'd like you to come in and, and, and teach. He said, well, to be our teacher. And he said, well, but he said, I'd like for you to, I'd like to sit down with you before I consider this to see if we line up doctrinally. And he said, the guy told him, he's, and I was just on the phone with him this past week, and he said, the guy told him, he said, no, 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 I don't want you teaching doctrine. And he's like, what do you want me to teach then? Because that's what, Teaching is. Teaching is bringing doctrines. It says they remain steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Folks, you don't have Bible. You don't have a relationship with God apart from sound biblical faith and doctrine. And so you can't minimalize it. You can't say, you can't take the Rodney King approach to the Bible and can't we all just get along? No, we can't. We can't all just get along. Amos 3.3, how can we walk together except we'd be in agreement? Agreement with what? Agreement with the doctrine, what the Bible says. Folks, and that's the word. That is the thing. That it says that he honors even his word, even over his name. And so we've got to get in agreement with what the word of God says. We've got to let the, the major things be the major things as we're looking at the word. So he was saying there's an importance, there's a value in understanding those doctrines, but making those things the, the preeminent thing in our life. And so rather than God speaking through messengers, it goes on to say as we approach the Hebrews, as he did under the law by the prophets of the father, he's now spoken to us through his son, Jesus. So, so we're getting it hot off the skillet. We're not getting secondhand revelations. It's not like a he said, she said, or it's not like the proverbial telephone game where it's like Doug got this great revelation, so it passes through everyone else. And, and finally, you know, James gets this great revelation that this originated in, in, in Douglas, and, and it doesn't sound anything like it. But he's speaking directly to us through his word and by his precious Holy Spirit in these last days. So we're going to pick up. Let me, let me, I'm going to read those first three verses before we begin to kind of look at it. Uh, 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 verse three. It says, God, who at sundry times and divers manners, spoke in times past unto the fathers by his prophets. Another translation says, long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways uh, to our ancestors through the prophets. In verse 2, it says, 
He has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, by whom he also made the worlds. Again, another translation says, and now in these final days, and I mentioned to you the final days are every time before that day at the birth of the church until the coming of the Lord. And so they were in the last days, just like we're in the last days. These are those days that God has given us in order the space to repent and come to him. So now in those final days, he has spoken to us through his son. God promised everything to the son as an inheritance, and through the son he created the universe. Now verse 3 is what we're going to look at specifically tonight. He said, being in the, in the brightness of his glory, in the express image of his person, and upholding all things through the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And remember last week I gave you, what is it, uh, four or five bullet points uh, on verse 3, and I'll, I'll, I'll reiterate those to you. The, the bullet points that we're going to see from this is, A, that Jesus is God. He's not a God, as the, the, the Jehovah Witnesses would say, as they've convoluted John uh, chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. In the Word, they've added the article A, which obviously doesn't exist in the Greek. But it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is God. He, he's not some, some lesser God. He, he is God made flesh. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And so Jesus represents an exact physical representation of our spiritual father. And so he said, if you've seen me, he said of himself, then you've seen the father. Folks, listen, can you, can you tell that there's air or oxygen in this room? How can you tell? It's because you can see the particles floating around? I can't, I can't see the particles. But I can, I can tell by the effect that they have upon me. The very fact that I'm able to... To inhale. If I was in a vacuum and, 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 and within that vacuum all the air was, was full out, you know what? If I tried to inhale, there would be nothing to happen because there would be nothing moving in and there would be nothing moving out. And so my, 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 my lungs, they don't fill up with something that doesn't have substance. There's particles, there's molecules, there's things that come in that enable my lungs to expand, but you can't see it. But if I put it under a microscope and you begin to see those things, you'd understand that there is some substance. So, so when Jesus came, he came to give substance to that invisible God. There's a God that it says in him we live and in him we move and in him we have our being. But because he operates in the spirit without him becoming flesh in the form of, his, of, of, of Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, we would not be able to see him. Because folks, listen, I want to let you in on something. There are things happening right now in the spirit. There, 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 there's, there's a battlefield that's happening around you right now that you cannot see. Now, there's certain times that you can see that. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 talks to us about the, the gifts of the Spirit. And one of those is the discerning of spirits. In other words, there's a heightened awareness of the spiritual realm. Have you ever been a point, maybe, you know, uh, spiritually speaking or, 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 you know, both positively and negatively, that suddenly it's like, man, I just thought I just saw something. You ever been there? You, you have? You know, you can, you can get that sometimes if you're just really attuned to the Spirit of God. Man, there's been times that, that listen, I, I believe that, man, I just, I kind of saw something angelic passing by me. Yeah. It did. I, I saw the presence of an angel passing by me. But there's been other times when I've been involved in spiritual warfare situations that I can flat out tell you that I, I saw a physical manifestation of a demonic spirit. Right. Seen that. I saw a darkness. I, I saw a figure, you know, that, that, that appeared and presented itself. So those things are happening all the time. Now, what keeps those things back is that divide between the natural and the spiritual realm. Because, you know, you take people that have given themselves over to, to, to drugs or open themselves up to, to alcohol. And so what that does is that causes the diminished capacity of resistance 
against the spiritual realm. And so you see people that are maybe in, 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 in insane asylums. And they're seeing things. They're saying, well, you're not seeing things. You're just insane. Well, you're not. They're not insane. What they've done is that built-in buffer that God has given us that it enables us to, to, to resist and not to physically see those things. Otherwise, they'll drive you mad. Man, I'm seeing things. I'm seeing things crawling everywhere. I'm seeing these unclean spirits. Folks, that's, that's reality. Those things are happening. But, but us in our, in our present state, we, we couldn't handle seeing those things uh, unabated by, by what God has given us. And so those things are constantly happening at all times. Just because you don't see them doesn't mean they're happening. Why? Because the scripture tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, it says you don't wrestle against flesh and blood. This isn't your problem. You're not my issue. But against principalities and powers, the rulers of the darkness and sage, and against spiritual wickedness in, in high places. The enemy's called the prince and the power of the air. He functions out here. This is where he has his influence. This is where he has his manipulation. That's why he's so involved in the entertainment industry. Why? Because he's got an inroads. He's been given authority on that dominion because of the fall of Adam. Adam gave him that dominion because God, and originally, as we talked about, gave that to Adam. He says, listen, I, I've created you. I've given you a, a dominion. He said, he said uh, be fruitful, multiply, take that dominion I've given you, exercise that dominion. And, and he says, when you failed, death comes in and you've, 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 uh, it's, you've eradicated that place in your life and you've yielded that authority to someone else. And so for us, through Christ Jesus, we have the ability to combat those things. Why? Because the weapons of our warfare, our battle, is not carnal. It's not natural, but it's mighty through God in order to pull down those strongholds that have been established. And so when he's talking about that, that, that power and all those things that have been established, we can see that he holds those things together. So he, he's the physical representation of something spiritual that's happening. And so we have that ability to see those things. So the third thing is everything in the universe is literally held together by God's word, by Jesus. And so when people begin to say, I don't see how that happens. Folks, listen, you, you, you can take something that doesn't even look like it's moving and put it under a microscope and it's moving. How do those particles stay together? Well, it's God. Now, you know, scientists try to come up with all these things and electrons and protons. Joshua can educate us a lot more on some of that stuff. He's, he's my, my, my science kid. But folks, listen, the, the fact of the matter is is some of these things are just outside. You just have to kind of form some hypothesis and, and just guesswork. Because when it comes right down to it, it's like, I know what's happening, and I can surmise what's happening, but how this thing really ends up happening, man, I don't know. You know, I can give you some phraseologies and some big words, the, the whole electrons or proton type of things, and magnetism or whatever it is, but in reality, man, I don't know how that stuff really actually works. I just got to believe that it does. Well, I know how it works. He upholds all of these things by God's word, Jesus. And, th and, and fourthly, the cross, or the cro and the cross alone is God's sole means to redeem fallen man. And lastly, the cross represents a finished work, therefore it's indispensable or augmentable. And so in other words, you, you can't take it away and you can't add to it. And so if the finished work of the cross, I can't say, listen, man, that's too difficult. So let's come up with a better way. Let's have, let's have a wider gate or let's have a more seeker-friendly version of salvation. Well, you, you can't take that out of the way. It's got to be the cross because it was at that place where Jesus paid the price. He said, it's finished. So I can't say it's finished and augmented or add something to it and say, well, it was not only that, but it was also that, plus I've got to keep the law. Or it's, it's that, I've got my salvation, plus I've got to do certain types of things. Folks, listen, if, the, if, if, if righteousness cometh by the law, if we learn this in our Galatians study, then what happens? The cross and the grace of God is made ineffectual. And so the word of God tells us, Paul said this very clearly, he said, listen, he said, I don't come with the, the, the wisdom or the eloquence of man's word. He said, if I did, 
He said the cross of Christ would be made of none effect. In other words, it would lose its power, its influence. It would, it would, be, uh, it, it would minimalize it. And so as a result, what it would do, it would delegitimize, delegitimize the power and the working of what Jesus Christ has done. So the last time we talked about Jesus, who was the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. So prior to the incarnation, we all understand what the incarnation was, right? God came down, took on the form of sinful flesh and for sin. So he took on the form of a man. So prior to that, all we had was just those individual fragments. Who wasn't here last week when we talked about this? If you get a chance, go back and watch the video for that because it'll make a lot of sense to you. And I'll, and I'll briefly touch on it, kind of give you the, the kind of the bullet points of this. And so the individual fragments, all we had was that, or we just had the ingredients of the bread. And so before Jesus came... We could see all of those things spread out on the table. We could, see the, the, we could see the flour. We could see the egg. We could see the milk. We could see the yeast or whatever is involved in that process. But we never got the full loaf. We never got to see it. We could look at the, the tabernacle. We could see the, 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 the golden bowl of manna in the, in, the, in the Ark of the Covenant. We could see the bronze laver where the priests watched. We could see all these components, but it's hard to put it together because it had not come together yet. And so we had the aroma of the bread, so to speak. In other words... You could feel it. You could smell it. You could sense something. You knew that the glory of God was there as they, they saw it hovering above the tabernacle, but you never really genuinely got to experience it. And finally, we didn't get the bread itself. And so with him or Jesus being the brightness of God's glory and the express image, that which was only could only be partially seen or understood now becomes the fullness of the Godhead bodily or in physical form. Jesus became that one. And so he is, according to John 6, uh, 58, he is the bread that has now come down from heaven. All those components that were only seen in, in type and shadow under the old covenant, he's now that bread come down from heaven. He's the bread of life, John 6, 35. He's our daily bread of Matthew 6, 11. He's the bread of the Passover of Mark 14 and 22. And so all those things that were in components, now he's delivered the full loaf to us. Now we can see it. Now we can taste and see that he's good. It was only by promise or by proclamation of prophecy through the psalmist prophetically to us. Now we can actually take. We can receive what he has. He says, take, eat of my body. Come experience me. And if you eat of this bread, you'll never hunger again. It just as he gave the Passover. We see it uh, uh, repeated by, 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 uh, by, by, by Paul as well. And so the change allows us to go from experiencing the aroma of God to a place where we can now have the uh, opportunity to share in the attributes of God through faith in His Son because He is the brightness and the image of God. And so, folks, I think, again, I want to pause there just for a second. I think so many people, and I'm talking about sincere people. I'm not just talking about people that have run amok and you want to find a loophole. I think this is where people have a problem with walking in victory because people, I think, get conditioned to experiencing the aroma of God rather than sharing in the attributes of God. Why do I say that? Because it's one thing to go, say you go to a, an amazing praise and worship conference or service, and man, they have all of this thing happening, the band up there, and everything is on point. Your favorite Hillsong music's there, or your Bethel stuff, and man, they just work, and they've got everybody whipped into a frenzy, and their hands are waving all over the place, and you got the Shonda and the Iki Mohas, and everything's happening, and, and all of a sudden you're experiencing these things. Man, you just, man, I just feel lighter than air. It's, I, I still feel so free, and you're worshiping, and all these things. Why? Because you've got this experience. Right. And so you're experiencing the aroma. You're oh, man, I just feel his presence, all of these type of things. Well, what's making you feel his presence? Because the thing, last time I looked, he's omnipresent. He's everywhere. 
And so I don't have to conjure up or work up the presence of God. Period. He's there. He's not here by invitation. I'm here by invitation. He invited me into his presence and gave me the opportunity through, through procreation and through the, 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 the creation to be here. And so God's not saying, you know, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping somehow you can sing the right song or hit the right chords or, 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 or whip yourself into the right frenzy and I show up. No, he's there. But certain things happen. We get stirred emotionally or mentally or, 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 or whatever it may be that we can experience the, the aroma. So I think people do that. Or, or you hear something that kind of moves you. Or you hear a, a, a neat story about somebody and, and, and a faith story or something that happened. Or maybe somebody got healed. And so there's an experience. You get, you get uh, excited. You get chill bumps or whatever else. But I think very few people come to the point where they share in the attributes of God. And so as long as you're getting worked up, you're okay. I'll give you an example. Having pastored many times, and, and pastored in some, some interesting places, haven't we, Pastor Alex? But, but I always go back to, to my first pastorate back when I was in my early 20s. You know, I, I go back there, and this was a place that, that, that was, you know, obviously it was in the hood. Some of you guys were there. Some of you guys have heard about it, Douglas. You, you were there. And so you understand that Christina did. And so, you know, people came from every walk of life. So we were in, we were kind of ground zero in our community for drugs and for alcohol and for prostitution and for bondage. And so the, 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 the great mass of our congregation wasn't this nuclear family. Seldom did we have nice mom and dad carrying a briefcase into church with their three kids and their hair was all combed and they were writing big checks and dropping into the offering plate. You know, they walked in, we're thinking, man, is that, is that the police or somebody? You know, we, we just said, now you might have had somebody coming in, struggling, that may have slept under the, the, the tree outside the church or or a family that's, uh, that, that reeks of alcohol. I mean, that was more typical, to be real honest with you, because of who we were targeting, the environment that we were in. And so you didn't see this, this, this nuclear family. You didn't see the pleasantries. And, and so as a result, you know, we had people that had bondages. You know, we had people that, that were chain-smoking all the way to church. But you know what was amazing to me? In all of my years of pastoring, I, I never had anybody, Pastor Roy, come up during the church and light up a cigarette, and sit there in church and smoke. Never did. Even though they couldn't go 30 seconds without one outside the church. Literally. They would light the next cigarette with the other one. And so if you looked at it, they were literally chain smoking. They were lighting the next one with the other one. They'd burn through a pack. And so why was it that when they were in church, when they say they couldn't go without one for five minutes outside of church, but they could sit there and our services would last two or three hours. Why could they not do it then? Why? Because they were in a place where they were influenced by the experience. And so the guy that was arguing with his wife on the way to church, suddenly, during church, during the worship of the Word, why aren't you guys arguing? You've been arguing nonstop for the last three weeks. Why? Because they were in a place where they were experiencing something. But the second they got out of that experiential Christianity, they kind of went right back in the same thing. It's kind of an accountability with us. And there are certain ways that you act around your Christian friends versus the way you might act around somebody else. If you're, if you're around somebody that holds a high standard, man, there's certain words that you won't use. And they may not even be the big words. They might not even be the, 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 the B word or the F word or all these other words that people have. Maybe it's just kind of those Christian cuss words that are just a little bit off color that you would never say in church or you'd kind of, uh, kind of take a step back if the preacher used that type of word. But there's certain people that you can, they're your, your boys, they're your friends that you can talk that way to. But because there, there's an accountability. Folks, isn't it interesting that there's these various versions of us that kind of can pop up? Or, you know, what if you're sitting there, there's certain TV shows that you might watch when certain people are around, but if other people are around, you may not watch those type of things. 
Why? Because there's an awareness with experience. But what about the attributes of God when they come upon you? Well, see, that's what was happening here. It allowed us to move from just that experience. Why? Because the one that was baked up in the house of bread, the one that came from Bethlehem, the house of bread, obviously is what it means. Now, he showed up on the scene, and so now you don't have to wonder about what it was. You don't have to just smell the aroma or just on the day of atonement experience the glory of God and to, to see him come down and consume the sacrifice. He said that he won't just be with you, according to the promise of John chapter 14, but he's going to be inside of you. Now the attributes of God are there. 1 Corinthians 3, 16. Do you not know now that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? He dwells inside of you. And so if I move in my faith from a place of just aroma to attributes, now what begins to happen to me? Now I have the ability to overcome. First, uh, what is it, First John 5 and 4? This is the victory that overcomes even my faith. And so faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Who is that word? That word came down and dwelt among us. And so verse 3 continues, and it says, He upholds all things by the word of his power. And so this one that came down, this one that changed everything, this one that is now God in human form came down. And it says he upholds all things by the word of his power. There's a couple things that, you know, I think we've talked about over the course of the study that kind of need to, that we need to remain steadfast, obviously, right, in the Apostles' Doctrine, Acts 2.42. Because, folks, really kind of the great challenge that I believe that we've seen, that really, I believe that we're seeing believers really abandon that faith in droves. We really are. Think about 2 Timothy 4.3. The time will come when what? Men will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust, their own desires, says they'll heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. In other words, you're going to find somebody that's going to tell you what you want to hear. I mean, you're going to, you're going to, you can find, if you, if you look hard enough, you'll find a preacher, an author that's going to tell you your sin is okay. I'm just here to tell you. Go to a bookstore and you'll find, you'll find an author here that preaches holiness and right next to him, if his name is the same alphabetically, you're going to find a one that's going to say that everything that that guy said that's holding you to a standard is okay. You're going to find it. Turn on Christian television. You can watch 30 minutes of a guy that's saying God's coming back for church without spot or blemish. Wait a half an hour and somebody's going to come up on there and say, listen, as long as you pray the sinner's prayer, you're okay. You can find that. But folks, the fact of the matter is there's only one standard to tell to the word of God. That is holding fast the apostles doctrine. Because you're not going to hear the apostles saying, listen, I got saved and everything is okay. That God's okay with my sin. He's okay with compromise. What happened? It says they preached that word and it said fear came upon the church. A great fear came upon them. And so you're going to see that happening. First Timothy 4.1, the, the Spirit expre uh, speaks expressly that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith. They're going to depart from the doctrine, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Folks, listen, it's always about doctrine. You're either going to be, believe the preachings of Christ or you're going to believe the preachings of the devil. So the question is, is which doctrine are you going to adhere to? The preaching of the, of, of the doctrine of the Christ or the adherence of that or being a, a, a participant and being a, a beneficiary of that is going to produce holiness and righteousness. But if I find myself being an adherent and a follower of the doctrines of devils, folks, what's going to happen? I'm going to see the works of the flesh made manifest in my life that are going to separate me from the kingdom. Amos 8.1, behold, the day's coming. I quoted this earlier. The Lord said, I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread nor a thirst for water. But there's going to be a famine of hearing the word of God. It's going to be a time where people are just like, man, enough's enough. They're going to be texting you in the middle of your message saying, enough's enough. Can't you just preach some good news? Well, folks, to me, this is good news. 
It's the good news that there is freedom, that there is liberty, there is victory that comes. Folks, the bad news would be for me is if I got saved and the preacher told me, he says, well, it's great to be saved, but listen, I just want to tell you that your life and your walk is going to be just as miserable as it always was. That you're never going to have victory. I'm like, well, why did I bother then? You know, I want to hold that for a better deal. Man, I want a Messiah that's able to say, listen, it was for freedom that he set me free. You know, give me something that changes me. I, I, I want 2 Corinthians 5 and 17 to actually mean something. I want being a, a new creature to really be being a new creature in Christ Jesus. I don't want to just be the struggling old version of myself. I don't want to be the old wineskin that I just kind of patch up by hanging out with the right people at the right time and going to church and hearing the right message every once in a while and hopefully that I'm not ruptured by the new wine. I want to be somebody brand new. I want to be that person that's, that's saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost and, and the fire of God that's able to endure to the end. You hear what I'm saying? Not this, this, this also ran or this one that's there one moment and gone the next and you've got to wonder about me. I want to, I, I want to be so stinking consistent that I bore you to death with my life. It's like watching paint dry. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's where I want to be. I want to be steadfast. I want to be immovable, always abounding in His grace and with His mercy and walking on truth. I want to be foundationally built upon those things. I don't want to be the high riser. Why? Because I don't want to be the quick father. Amen. I want to be the person that is as steady as she goes. Hosea 4, 6, my people are destroyed. Why? A lack of knowledge. A lack of knowledge of somebody else's experience? Or the great thing that happened in some concert? No, a lack of knowledge because you have rejected experience? No, because you've rejected knowledge. He said, I'll also reject you and you won't be a priest to me. Well, how many of you know that we're a royal called to be a royal priesthood, a holy nation, so we can show forth those praises. But he said, if you reject knowledge, if you reject that truth, he said, I will find myself rejecting you. I bring all this to pass, and Pastor Roy and I have talked about this, obviously Pastor Alex has, has seen this stuff uh, uh, play out over time. Back in the, 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 the late 70s, really kind of started taking ground in the, in the, right, uh, the, late, in, in the early 80s, a movement uh, began in the Christian ranks. It was and is still called the Word of Faith Movement. Anybody familiar with that terminology? Word of Faith Movement. I know Joshua is as well. And this was largely built around the teachings of a man by the name of E.W. Kenyon. Anybody heard of E.W. Kenyon? I know you guys have. Some of you have heard of E.W. E. Kenyon was, uh, was kind of the, the, the one who was really called to, many, many people call him kind of the, the, the originator of the positive confession or the positive theology movement. Uh, he was a guy born in 1867, so you can think about how long ago he was born, and he died in 48. Yet it was 30 years before his teaching really took traction. Well, the reason being is because a lot of that teaching that he began to share also rose up simultaneously with the holiness movement. And so the holiness movement always preached a message of self-denial. And so it was a message that said, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow after him. It wasn't the positive confession. So, so the positive confession movement, even though it was birthed along the same time, I think the holiness movement kept it in check. Because when you're having the, 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 these great swaths of people preaching, listen, a hellfire and damnation message is what they called it, but I don't really believe it was a hellfire and damnation message. I believe it was a, a message that, that preached uh, hot, uh, hell hot, but it preached righteousness even hotter. You hear what I'm saying? That was the fiery trial that comes upon your life. So it preached a, a sanctification message, so it couldn't gain steam. But as things began to happen, and things began to taper it off in the 60s and the 70s, and all these things, all these other movements in, in secular society, well, it gave an opportunity for this positive confession movement to take place. 
And so it happened, and it popularized, popularized by some of these people. Some of these names you'll, some of you, most, some of you'll know all of them. Some of you'll know just a few of them. Kenneth Hagin, he's, he's now passed, but his, 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 his son still uh, uh, passes. I think they're in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. Reagan's part of the country. Kenneth Copeland, right there in Fort Worth, who's still there. T.L. Osborne, who's now deceased. Oral Roberts, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, later, people like Creflo Dollar, I believe he's out of Georgia, and, and Joseph Prince. These guys picked up on that message, and they began to preach this positive confession or this word of faith movement. They coined such phrases as, and think about this in regards to that verse, that he upholds all things by the word of his power. They coined such phrases as this, you'll never have more than you confess. You'll never have more than you confess. And if you confess it, if you can confess it, then you can possess it. That's what they said. That was some of the catchphrases of that. And man, man, that's a neat t-shirt. Man, that's a neat bumper sticker. Man, that makes me feel positive. Man, I'll never possess if I can't confess. But if I can confess it, I can possess it. Now, folks, how do you see it? Have you ever seen this where people, quote-unquote Christians, preachers, I use that term highly. They'll show this, peach, 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 uh, this picture of all these stack of money. And they'll say, this is for somebody. There's money coming that's waiting for you. If you believe it, type amen in the comment. Anybody ever seen these ridiculous things that pop up on Facebook? Well, if you believe it, they're saying type amen or confess it. And all this is coming to you. I mean, you talk about taking it to another level of ridiculous. And so I'm going to have millions of dollars if I just type amen on a Facebook page? Really? Folks, all that stuff has its roots in, in, in E.W. Kenyon's metaphysics. That's really what it was. If you don't understand metaphysics, I'm not going to go into what metaphysics is. But folks, it, it's not faith in Jesus. It's, it's faith in faith. And it doesn't define faith like the word does. What faith is, that Greek word pieces, it's the moral conviction of the truthfulness of God. It's faith in some abstract force. And so that said, at the root of the word of faith theology is the belief that faith is a force. It's a force that can be controlled. So God spoke, they say, everything into existence. And before they, the fall of Adam, they say that man had the same ability to speak things into existence. Before the fall. Now, folks, listen. You guys are Bible reading people. I, I know you are because that's what we do. We just started another 90-day challenge. I hope every one of you guys get a hold of that. Good way to open up the year. But... Did you ever see in the, 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 those first few chapters of the book of Genesis, Adam speaking anything into existence? But they'll say that. They'll say before the fall, Adam could speak things into existence just like God. I, I've never read that anywhere. I've never seen any of the, even the implications of those things. And so they, uh, we know that sin separates man from God, right? So they'll say that, but they'll say this. But once a person has been made, uh, made peace with God by accepting the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ... He not only becomes a child of God, but he becomes God incarnate, just as Jesus was and is both God and man. They say that man becomes like God. And many word of faith teachers, the same ones that convolute this portion of Hebrews, they'll claim that God made us in his image and after his likeness. So Christians, we are in fact little gods. For instance, Kenneth Copeland says it this way. He says, you're all God. He says, you don't have a, living, a God living in you. You are one. He says, when I read the Bible where God tells Moses, I am, he says, yes, I am too. Those are the words of Kenneth Copeland. Don't believe me. You can go on YouTube and you'll see the video coming right out of his mouth. It's not Photoshopped or anything else. That's what he says. And you know what? 
He don't apologize for saying that. Why? Because that's what he honestly believes. He believes that he is a God. He is a God because of his belief system. So why do I bring that up in our, in our Hebrew study? Well, the answer is because verse 3 is saying he upholds all things by the word of his power. Okay, this is Jesus upholding all things. But notice what this verse doesn't say. Okay, it does say that he upholds all things by the word of his power. It doesn't say that he upholds all things by the power of his word. Now, as simple as that is, folks, listen, I can just change a couple words or nouns or adjectives around in a sentence structure and change the entire meaning of a sentence. And so it doesn't say he upholds all things by the power of his word, but by the word of his power. And so why is this a big deal? Well, I'm glad you asked me that question because I'm prepared to answer that question tonight. Folks, the whole of this verse is declaring, and we talked about that over the last couple of weeks, declaring the origination of things, right? Not the proclamation of things. And so the whole of verse 3 is talking about the origination. This was where all these things got started, not where all these things were proclaimed from. Consider how it opened. It says, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. Okay? Jesus didn't display brightness. He was the source of brightness. Amen. You hear me? Yeah. He was the light of men. And so if I have any light in me, listen, that light is because of Jesus, Amen. right? He is the light of the world. He is the day spring on high that is visited to give light to those that sit in darkness in the shadow of death and to guide our feet in the way of peace. That's, uh, that's Luke 1, 78 and 79. And so he is the express image of God. In other words, Jesus didn't merely display or represent God. He is Amen. God. That's what it's saying. He is the source. He is the origination, not just the proclamation of such. Folks, for us, we can't originate anything. Do you hear me? So if there's anything good inside of us, it had to have been originated from him. Why? Because in our flesh dwells no good thing. There originates anything good. So if there's anything good, there's anything holy, there's anything noble, there's anything righteous, Troy Bond can't come up with those things. I can't cross enough T's and dot enough I's, learn enough scripture, witness to enough people, proclaim and wave my arms and shout and dance enough time to originate anything. I can't create something out of nothing, right? Just like in this world, in science, you can't bring life out of something that's dead. It's got to start with life. And so if there's any light, it's got to originate in the original light. So he is the originator of something that then becomes the progenitor of something. And he puts something in our life that's able to be duplicated. Amen. It's duplicated because he was that source. And so by them flipping Hebrews 3.1, statement from word of his power to power his word, it changes this by implying that our words have now become a creative force, which is a term that Charles Capps, another one of those, those false teachers, says. He says, your words are a creative force. Folks, listen, let me just ixnay that real quick. Your words do not have the power to create anything. Try it. Try it real quick. Create a million dollars right here. I'll give you about two seconds because I could give you many more and you wouldn't do that. You can't create something. You can't make something out of nothing just because you spoke it. At best, our words can merely speak in agreement with that which his words have already created or made manifest. Period. And so I can't say something and create something 
that he hasn't already created. Period. And so the words here in, uh, in Hebrews 1.3 come forth from his power rather than his power coming forth from his words. Key there. The word comes forth from his power rather than the power coming forth from his words. And so this is where the word of faith, the positive confession movement, gets its name and how they come to believe and teach that they can speak something into existence. And so it says the word of his power, that word, that is the word rhema. That's the rhema word. And literally what that means in the Greek is his dynamic living word in a believer to invert faith. It's his inwrought persuasion. And so the word of his power, that word power is that word dunamis. We ultimately get our word dynamite from that. And it's power associated with the Lord's inherent abilities or qualities. And so something has an inherent quality, Angela. What does that mean? You can look at me like that and think, oh man, I can't believe I just got put on the spot. Well, everybody gets put on the spot. This is your first time. Inherent literally means, hear me, existing in something as permanent, essential, or a characteristical attribute. And so if something is inherent, it means that it's permanent, it's essential, it's a characteristic or an attribute that's always there. There's certain attributes, there's certain things that, that, that are always consistent. You always know that they're going to be there. And so the power in which is, etern is eternal, and the word in this case, is that which appropriates or communicates that power, and not vice versa. And so the power is eternal. It always was. Because he is that power. The power of God is, is in him. He, he not only, it's not God is power, but power is God. God is the source of everything that is life and light. And so the word is that which appropriates or communicates the power outward from that source. And so the word of faith teachers commonly misuse Romans 4.17. You know what it says. You may not know the address, but as soon as I read it, it says, written, I've made thee a father of many nations before him who I believe, even God, who quickened the dead. Now they, they eliminate all of that from this passage, and they love this part. Call those things that are not as though they were. Have you ever heard that? Man, you just got to speak to those things that are not as though they were. Well, what about the rest of that verse? I can just take that and extract that. Why? Because anything outside of context is what? It's pretext. It loses its original power. It's, it's validity. And so they'll say, listen, you got to speak to those things or call those things that are not as though they were. Well, obviously, this was talking about the covenant that God made with Abraham, right? That's the context. Because he, Abraham, believed what God said, therefore, he was counted unto him for righteousness. And so he just appropriated what God had already said. God was righteous. God spoke something. Adam believed it. Adam didn't speak righteousness in, uh, into existence. He believed what God had said. God was holy. God spoke a, a, a word out of his holiness that, that, that Abraham believed. And so he came in agreement with what already was. Do you hear me? And so this is obviously talking about that covenant. So Abraham never spoke anything into existence. He merely agreed with or believed that which was spoken by the word of the Almighty or the power. He heard the word of God's power who was the Almighty, right? For thine is the and the kingdom forever. Amen. And where does faith come from? Hearing and hearing by the word of God without faith. It's impossible to please him. Those that come to him, come to him, right? Not those that have a creative force, but those that come to him have got to believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently speak after him. Speak, seek after him. And so it says, he shall not speak himself, but what shall he said here? He shall speak and he will show you things to come. So the spirit of truth. You know, John 17, 17, right? Father, do what? 
Sanctify them by thy word. Thy word is true. I want you to listen to the context of that. Verse 15 of John 17, 17. He said, Jesus praying. He said, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. But I'm asking you to keep them safe from the evil one. I'm asking you to empower them. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. He said, make them holy by thy truth. Right? Teach them your word, which is truth. He said, just as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them in the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. And so the power who is him. Notice he's always speaking that word truth. Bring them back to a place of truth. Bring them back to a place of the word. So that what? I can produce holiness. I can set them apart for my service. I can sanctify them through one sacrifice. He has made them holy. He has sanctified. For the, he has perfected those that are being made holy. And so we're being made holy. So that's the separation. I've separated you for my service. So our text says, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of the person of holding all things by the word of his power, when he had himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of God the majesty. So the reason that you'll receive power is not because you somehow conjured it up through confession or incantation, but because the spirit of truth came to you in order to empower you to be changed and transformed by faith in the blood of Jesus, which then qualifies you for any of the, uh, the, 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 the promises that would follow. And so I received power not because I said the right things or prayed the right prayer or somehow I had some spiritual incantation or I said the sinner's prayer. That's not where I get my, 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 my power from. I get my power because the Spirit of God came and He drew me. Nobody can call Christ Lord except the Spirit draw them. He drew me to that place, right? Through His power, through His Spirit, He drew me to that place and invited me into that place to be changed and transformed so I can be empowered or changed or have victory through faith in the finished work of the cross of Calvary. It wasn't because of what I said. And so when somebody says, listen, are you a savior? Are you, are, are you a Christian? Have you been saved? Well, I prayed the sinner's prayer. And so you're saying, listen, so listen, I got God because I spoke it into existence. That's really what they're saying without saying that. I prayed the right prayer. I spoke something in. I said the right incantation. And so there's an empowerment that saved me because of what I said. No, I'm sorry. That's not the way it worked. What you say at best can only give testimony to what God has done in your life by drawing you by the spirit and revealing himself through truth. Abraham believed God. Believed God. And it was accounted to him. So righteousness was appropriated into his life. Folks, I believe that there's sincere people that are just sold a pig and a poke. And somebody's telling them, listen, just pray the right incantation. You know, stadiums have been filled for generations of people that say, listen, I'm going to sing the right song. And just as I am, and if you'll come up here and just repeat this prayer with me, then you'll be saved. Folks, repeating a prayer with me or anybody else is not going to save you. But believing, believing in the power of God to change and transform you in your heart and allowing God to appropriate his spirit and come into you is what changes and transforms you. Then you're not living this wishy-washy life back and forth and thinking, well, listen, man, I don't know what's got wrong with me. I prayed the right prayer and I said the right things. Folks, listen, we're saved by grace through faith, not of works, so that no one would ever be able to boast about what they said or, or what they did. But when the power of God comes inside of me and I put my faith in the right place, 
that I'm not living this wishy-washy life. Hopefully I can just hang on until Jesus comes back and God hurry up and send the rapture because you know what, man, I'm struggling. And so come back, you know why I'm singing that song rather than when I'm struggling with something. Folks, I want to believe God. Amen. I don't want to believe me. I don't want to believe that I said the right things or yeah, I can even do the right things. I want to believe that God, who up all holds all things by the what? The word of his power. And that word has come to me and revealed himself to me that he can hold me up. Amen. That he keeps all things that I commit to him. He is able to keep that which I commit to him. Not to keep those things which I happen to have said the right thing or sing the right song. Folks, listen, I'm uphold by the word of his power. Not by the power of his word or by the, the, the power of my word. But I put my faith in who is the power of God in my life. And so this discussion is relevant Really because of the nature of this drawing back to the better way that really he's established upon that which is eternal rather than that which is temporal or, or the nature of the law that really kind of serves as kind of a schoolmaster or kind of a placeholder before Jesus' incarnation. And so if it ever becomes about the power of his word rather than the word of his power, then the assumption arises that merely by repeating or reciting words a man is saved. And so that's the trap not only of religion but also of legalism. Now think about this. Religion, because it's all based upon following certain guidelines, the sinner's prayer, the sacraments. I got baptized in the right amount of water, and they said the right things, right? Folks, you'll, you'll get the, the Acts 2.38 crowd. It says, listen, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for remission of your sins, you'll be saved. Well, that sounds good. Now, obviously, that's Bible, right? But what does that do? That doesn't put the power in him. That puts the power in us. And so as long as I get dunked in water and the right words are said, that becomes the transformation. Oh, that's the warning here of Hebrews 1.3 that they were falling into that same easy trap. I'm saying the right incantation. If I don't say it, I'm not saved. If I do say it, I am. Well, then who's got the power? I got the power. Why? Because I backed him into the proverbial corner because I said the right things. Or it's an object of my faith. I believe God. Amen. Well, certainly I'm going to follow him and let all righteousness and outward sign of something the inward happened in my life. Then I see the demonstration of his holiness in me. Legalism, because it bases salvation upon one adherence to laws that the natural man, according to, to Romans chapter 8, is powerless to adhere to because of the weakness of the flesh. And so he is able to uphold all things by the word of his power. It originates to him. He communicated that to his, his son. And so when we can come to that place in faith in what Jesus did, then we don't find ourselves constantly walking in this disappointment and unmet expectations. We can find ourselves walking according to truth. You think that's been an hour already? There you go. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word, which is truth, Lord God. You brought the Spirit of God to lead and guide us into all truth. Lord God, we thank you for once again for another opportunity to comfort your word. Lord God, just give us the, the spirit of wisdom and understanding to, to take that, Lord God, to digest it, Lord God, and to build upon it, Lord God, uh, personally and privately, Lord God, even as we study those things out. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And Father, we also pray for our offering tonight, Lord God. Bless our giving, Lord God, as we just uh, participate, Lord God, in all the things you do for the kingdom. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, and amen.